It is March Madness time, and the madness is madness, I assume. I don't actually know, because my basketball team, the Duke Blue Devils, are not playing in the NCAA men's tournament this year, and as a result, I have completely tuned out the tournament, and I think I'm going to hear about it on today's episode. My name is Steve, and you're listening to Ministry During the Disruption. Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. Joining me on today's episode is our senior bracketology correspondent. Welcome to the podcast, Kyle Lee. Hey there. You can also call me Joe Lee Nardi. <laughs> I, I think that's a uh, basketball television joke that I just don't get. <laughs> yeah, only a couple people will get that. Joe Lenardi is one of the senior bracketologists out there in sports media. He's the bracketology, science of, of brackets. He is one of those people. Okay, so brackets. We're not just talking about like window hangings and things like that. Like, w- what are we talking about about brackets? Okay, so of course, if you're unfamiliar, every year, NCAA basketball has two tournaments of rounds of 64. Though they play a bunch of games and they determine a champion in a single elimination tournament. Both the men's and women's basketball teams across the country will do this men with men, women with women. Um, and, uh, people historically have been filling out brackets of just saying, like, who's gonna win the tournament? They predict, and they have little pools uh, for fun, where, whether, and, like, they, they play with their friends and they see who wins, etc. Um, for example, InterVarsity has a bracket challenge with lots and lots of entries, and, uh, I, I'm in that bracket challenge this year. And the winner of the bracket challenge, I think, gets their name on a trophy that is kept at InterVarsity's headquarters in Madison, Wisconsin. Absolutely, yes. And that's my goal. My goal this year is to be on that trophy. Awesome. Fantastic. All right. Well, Kyle, you've got a hot take for us this week. Go ahead. Fire away. Light it up. My take is that it takes zero basketball knowledge to be good at the bracket challenge. In fact, you might be worse if you know about basketball. The curse of knowledge. All right, Kyle, what makes you think that this is actually a thing, that you can be a great predictor of college basketball games, even if you don't know much about college basketball? So uh, when, when I was growing up with my family, we did a bracket challenge together, and I did all this research. I spent all the time researching every single college and university, and my sister picked stuff based on names. So she was like, Winthrop sounds cooler than North Texas. I'm going to pick Winthrop. Or I like the mascot for Arkansas better than I like that mascot for Colgate. So I'm going to pick Colgate. Or one of our best, her best friends was a fan of Kansas. So she rooted for Kansas. And that just ha- so happened to be the year that Kansas went to the finals and faced Derrick Rose in Memphis. And so needless to say, she won. All my research was pointless, right? Except next, the next, very next year, I won. And I had done, I did the same amount of research. I won. She did the same strategy. It was, she completely tanked, tanked. She did not do well. So I think my basketball knowledge doesn't seem like it helps or doesn't help in this scenario at all. Really. There's a concept called the curse of knowledge where actually knowing about something makes you assume that you have power over the thing or that you have a level of predictive potential that 
you don't actually have. And actually where, because you are quote unquote cursed with knowledge, you don't realize that other people don't know the same things as you. And so you assume that everyone's going to make the same guesses and operate under the same assumptions. And so you might research a university, become convinced that Gonzaga is awesome. Are they still in the tournament, by the way? Gonzaga's, yep. Gonzaga's, they might win the whole thing. So you may be convinced that they're going to win the whole thing. And because of that, you might be convinced that they deserve the seed that they have, which is a pretty high seed. Am I right? They're they're, they're the number one seed overall. Right. So because you've done the research, you might assume that they deserve the seed. And so it might be harder for you to predict an upset for them. Here is one one thing that we're we're looking at. I remember maybe a couple years back, Warren Buffett said he would give like, what, a billion dollars to anybody who had a perfect bracket. Right. And like that makes him look good and generous and fun and cool. But he's not an idiot. Warren Buffett made a lot of money and he's and he's smart and he knows the likelihood of it coming out as perfect bracket is nigh impossible. Well, because if you believed in the prediction markets, Mm -hmm. your bracket would look like every one seed beats every 16 seed on ad infinitum until you have the final four is made up of four top seeds. Right. And. You, it would be a perfect prediction. Right. I mean, easy if, to predict. If, if they follow the predictive models that we've, we've set up, then Duke would be the champion like every year, pretty much. But alas, they have lost many, many times, Steve. You know, I can make that joke. I'm not sure that you can make that joke. <laughs> I mean, hey, like, I, I, mean, it, I mean, to be fair, right, as a University of Virginia fan, the University of Virginia was the first team to ever lose to a 16 seed in the first round, right? And it was hor- horrifying for us. But if you actually watch that game, it was one of these things where that 16 seed had the game of their life, and our team, the Virginia UVA Cavaliers, had the worst game of their life. And well, and there's this saying in the sports world where we say that's why we play the game. Is right. a- actually the prediction markets are just that they just make predictions, and we're living in an era where prediction markets are being faced with. Things that are impossible to predict. We don't have enough data. We do the best we can. And right. I, I think, Kyle, this might lead to some ministry application. So one thing I, I have to th- think about, right, is, and I think this is a great model for, is we assume from prior experience, we're, we know what's going to happen moving forward, right? And, and you know, there's some, you know, there's some merit to that, right? Right. This year, Gonzaga is the number one seed overall. It's, it stands to reason, right, from our prior experience with them, they're going to go fairly far. But it doesn't mean they're going to win the whole thing. And, and it doesn't mean just because, you know, like, like, for example, again, to bring up Virginia, Virginia was a four seed this year. They lost in the very first round, right? Um, it, it's, it's, it's kind of random, right? We, we, we think of life as like a chess game where everything's, all the moves are predictable and everything can be seen and you can kind of figure everything out. And it's, it's really not. It's much more of like roulette or it's much more like poker or it's much more like the March Madness tournament. It, it's so much more random. Um, and actually what is a better informant of our processes, as we've, we may have, we kind of talked about before, Steve, is actually these like statistical economic prediction models where it's actually better to bet on high, high risk, high reward returns. And I think that's kind of the case that we're, we want to talk about with ministry too. Right. I think we're in a brand new season. We've talked about it being an ice age beforehand and not a blizzard. That's that we're, 
We're in a new era where everything has to change and we have, our old models don't necessarily, we can't necessarily rely on our old models. I think that's kind of true here too. Like we, like we might want to stick with, oh, this is our safest bet. This is our Gonzaga, right? But actually it's better to, to, to put some, put some, our resources into Gonzaga, but also put some of our resources into like Oral Roberts, who, who happened to have one of the biggest upsets of the tournament. Right. So Oral Roberts is a small Christian university. They were a number 12 seed, F- 15 seed, 15 F- seed, 15 seed. And they knocked off. Um, Ohio State, the number two seed. The and Ohio State University. The Ohio State University, yes. That that poisonous nut that is the Buckeye no, has been defeated. And also they beat the Florida Gators, the seventh seed. And now they're in the Sweet 16 playing Arkansas, Arkansas. It, it, yes. And and part of the beauty of that, if if someone were to predict Oral Roberts to upset Ohio State, the, the beauty of that is that you know it's highly likely, given the number of games and the randomness in basketball, that there are going to be some early round upsets. And it's uh, unlikely that it's going to be a number one seed knocked off by a number 16 seed, but it's more likely that it's a number two seed knocked off by a 15 seed. And it's very common for people to pick, you know, that like four to 13 uh, upset. Like that's kind of a, like a common bracketology strategy. And so there is this, um, the reward of picking an upset gets lower and lower. If you're like, it's a seven seed versus a nine seed, it could go either way. It's a toss up. So you get a higher reward if the seed differential is bigger. So there's actually some economic theory that says that you should look at the level of upset that it would be in the matchup and take some calculated wagers. What, what are some calculated wagers that um, that you took in your bracket? Because you're like ranked pretty high up there in the InterVarsity bracket world. Yeah, so I did predict Oral Roberts. That was one of them. Um, I, you, pre- I, you predicted them to beat uh, the Ohio State University? Yeah, I, I predicted them to beat Ohio State. Sorry, Ohio State fans, if you're did, out there. Did you predict them to beat Florida? I did not. Yeah. I did not. So, okay. so I, I, I predicted Florida to beat them. So they're, they're there. I pretty much, that's the only upset I picked that was accurate. <laughs> only Oral Roberts. So it's one thing to pick an upset in a basketball tournament that you have no real stake in. I mean, as much as we would love to see your name on that trophy and I'm pulling for you, Kyle. Thank you. Uh, you know, it's, um, it's not a huge risk. It can feel much more weighty to take a risk in ministry, even a calculated risk. What are some calculated risks that people can take or have taken during the disruption? I, I think there's two, there's two things that's coming to mind for me. One is I think we can, we can delve and pick more. We've kind of talked about this already a little bit from the past podcast. Look at niche ministries, right? That seem to not hit the hole, right? But you're going to, when you, when you like, like the more, the majority, but if you, if you were to reach them, like, and you were to really reach them, they would be like your super fan. They would be so loyal, right? It's kind of like in college basketball. If anybody on TV mentions the random university out there, like that university goes nuts. Um, before University of Virginia won the championship, anytime I would see an article on ESPN or Bleacher Report about UVA, I was always so excited. I'd read it immediately, right? Because I'm like, oh, no, that we're recognized, right? 
And that's a huge deal for us as a school that was no one, we felt like no one saw us. I'm seeing that on Facebook right now. All of my friends, everyone I know who has gone to Oral Roberts University suddenly has a sweatshirt or a hat or, you know, like pictures of themselves. They may have to go back 20 or 30 years to find a picture of them wearing ORU stuff, but they're busting it out right now because they're so proud of their team. Right, right. And so they, they, they finally get that recognition. And I think that's, that's kind of true too on, on campus, right? There's, there's been places that we're good at reaching and there's places and corners of campus to use our language that we, we haven't been just good at reaching. And I think those are some of our opportunities right now that we, we can kind of take, but that it, it seems like a risk because like, what about losing those other people? Well, and in some ways, this is also a calculated risk that InterVarsity is taking through the 2030 calling, which is our, right. um, our strategic initiative that believes that that longing for revival, we are praying for and we are seeking witnessing communities on every corner of every campus. And so we're actually leaning into some underserved geographies, you know, some places in the country where there's just not a lot of ministry, and we're leaning into some underserved institutions. So types of colleges that for one reason or another have very few campus ministries present, whether that's InterVarsity or any other national campus ministry. A lot of those uh, Hispanic-serving institutions, tribal colleges, community colleges, uh, historically black colleges and universities are underserved by the campus ministry world. And there's something beautiful that happens when, when campus ministry movements say, you know what, this is a time where we can take a calculated risk. Let's let's try reaching out to them. I've been incredibly impressed with some of the things that Native InterVarsity and Black Campus Ministries and the Latino Fellowship La Fe and the Community College Task Force have been doing to start new ministries on some of these underserved institutions during the disruption. I, I think I think the other thing that ties nicely into my next point is also one of my favorite books when I was growing up as a kid is called Who Moved My Cheese, right? Which is a business fab- motivational business fable, and the subtitle is it's an amazing way to deal with change in your work and in your life. I've I've read the book. I actually had to read the book in a leadership class in college at Duke. Right. Right. I mean, hey, that's something good that Duke's doing. It's good. That's good. It, it, and you read it as a child. I read so it as a child. So yeah, maybe about... it says something about Duke. <laughs> but I really like this book, right? And the basic idea is that they have these these mice running around a maze, right? And they and they're looking for cheese. Um, and they find the cheese in the maze, and they would calculate how long it takes. But if we were to put humans in this same scenario, right? They, we would we would kind of develop a pattern and we would develop our commute to work, so to speak, pick up our cheese and come back. But mice never do this. They always are constantly exploring the maze. They're always wondering where, when the cheese is going to move, right? Because the cheese will always move. And when humans would have the metaphorical cheese, the reward, their whatever their thing that they're seeking move, they get really upset, right? And they're like, why? Why did the cheese move, right? Why did the whatever I'm trying to get move? You know, is it God? Why God did the cheese move? It's the world's fault that cheese moved. It's maybe, maybe I should have done this or whatever. But the mice are just like, all right, it moved. Let's find it. Let's go find it again. Um, and I think that's a big piece here, right? Like, I think the, the disruption of the pandemic has meant that all of our cheese, all of the thing that we're looking for, all of the 
the resources we're trying to get, the students we're trying to reach out to, the ministry we're trying to have has moved. It has shifted somewhere else, right? And whether it's, and we need to figure out where, where it is and how to move. In the a, in the a new cheese, way. the cheese is still the cheese. It's just in a different place and it's going to take a different path to get to it. That's, right. that's incredibly insightful, Kyle. I think it's important for us to note that we're not switching to use your metaphor. We're not switching from cheese to some other food. Yeah. Right. So, so it's, Scripture is still at the center of our ministry. We're still dependent on God. We're still focused on students and faculty. We still love the pond. We still love the the university world. And our access to those places or the shape of our ministry may have changed, but, but the cheese is still the cheese. Right, right. Yeah, we're still seeking to, like— see lives transformed through the power of the gospel to reach every corner of every campus and to, to, to create world changers, right? Like that's, that's our goal. The difference is now that one path in the maze that we, we kept going down is closed off. Like we can't go in person, right? We have to go somewhere else and we got to find it. And, and I think um, to me now, right? What, even though I've just, we just talked about taking calculated risks. I think, I think now is the time where we, you can't help but take calculated risks. Right, because there's because all the things that we're doing beforehand, which are less risky, are go- kind of gone, right? And I do want to acknowledge that that actually that's really tiring, right? The taking calculated risks takes a lot more effort than just going down your same path, right? It's so like driving to a new place is way more stressful than driving to a place you've been hundreds of times before. Well, and we have an advantage that the bracketologists don't actually have because we have the capability to readjust our quote unquote picks throughout the tournament. So part of the reason I don't have a bracket this year is because I was on vacation when the brackets came out and everyone's picking their brackets and I just missed that window. Because once the tournament starts in the NCAA basketball world, you can't make new picks. But, but we can. We can revise our prior estimates. We can say, I thought this would work. It didn't work. I'm going to try something else. So right now, you have the University of Florida going on, you know, an extra couple of games, even though they've already been defeated by Oral Roberts University. The ministry advantage we have is the equivalent to you being able to scratch out your pick and update it with something new, with a new, better guess. And and I've been so impressed by InterVarsity student leaders, volunteers, faculty, even InterVarsity campus staff who have updated their guesses and have gone in new ways. I've been so impressed with athletes InterVarsity who has done this remarkably well during the pandemic, has said, actually, what if there is an open door for us to do a different kind of ministry because of this disruption? And another way to think about that too is the sunk cost fallacy, right? Like, Unfortunately, with the tournament, I have I just sunk some cost in my time, my effort, and I can't change anything. But again, we we we're not the sunk cost fallacy is that you know you put some stuff in, you got to stick with it. That's not necessarily as true in in with ministry. We can constantly update our guess guesses, and we can we can actually ch- change change and update our information as we go, which is really great. And I think that's something that. Is important to think about. Just because we've been investing in something doesn't mean we have to invest in it forever. We can actually change positions once we have new updated information. And I think we're getting more information as we go. And I think it, seeing new doors always as an opportunity is really important. 
Kyle, this sounds like an important topic. I feel like this is something we're going to circle back to over and over and over again long after the tournament has passed us by. I, I think so. I think so. I, th- I do think these principles of risk-taking and, and reaching out was the only way that we're going to make it to the 2030 calling. And I think we're already on these lines of thinking. We, as you said, I think we know lots of people who are. And we're just you know, encouraging that, that type of behavior and encouraging to see. I want to see more of that in our, in our organization, don't you think? Yes. If you'd like to hear these ongoing conversations about risk, about change management, about ministry innovation, would love for you to subscribe to this podcast, Ministry During the Disruption. Maybe share it with a friend and definitely follow us on Instagram at Ministry During the Disruption. We don't post often, but we share ministry innovations from around the campus ministry world, and we cheer people on. So if you want to have access to some of this great stuff, you should definitely follow us on Instagram. Is that right, Kyle? Absolutely. Absolutely. And give our podcast a rating review on Apple Podcasts, because that's helpful. And now, here is a word from our sponsor. All of this talk about the NCAA tournament reminds us to give a shout out to Athletes InterVarsity. They are a ministry for and led by athletes. College student athletes are sharing the gospel with their teammates, they're hosting Bible studies with their teammates, and they're learning what it looks like to be an athlete and even more than that, more than an athlete, a follower of Jesus in the athletic world. To learn more about Athletes InterVarsity, go to athletes.intervarsity.org. There's all kinds of resources there to help you or your favorite athlete follow Jesus well. Jesus well.